This coming weekend, we've got an impressions, first impressions conference right here at Wood's Edge, and we'd love to have you. It's free, but we need to know you're coming. So please uh, let us know. You can stop by the information desk or go online. And uh, also, in two weeks from today, we have another We Join class. We're doing this about every six weeks or so, and it's just a one-hour time now is what we do. So if you're not yet uh, a member for officially or been to this class, uh, it'll be a time I'll be leading uh, we'll take care of child care and the sandwich. So, we'd love to have you. But we need to know you're coming, so please sign up. Need to have food for you. Okay. God's hand was on the early church in a remarkable way. Thousands coming to Christ, miracles left and right, the power of the Holy Spirit poured out, people devoted to prayer, rich community, unusual generosity. However, you're reading along this incredible early church, and, and, and you see, well, they've also got a number of problems. So just because God was at work in a miraculous way does not mean that the church was problem-free. No church ever is, because for two simple reasons. First of all, the church has people in it, broken, flawed people like you and me. But secondly, even more, uh, or at least as much, um, the church is Christ's bride. Christ's body. It's Christ's church. And so you can bet the spiritual enemy of our souls is attacking the church in all kinds of ways. And we see that in the early church, both from within and from without. Uh, for example, in Acts 4, we saw the persecution from without as they arrested Peter and John and threatened them. And then in Acts 5, there was this deceit and hypocrisy with Ananias and Sapphira. That was from within. And then uh, after that, in Acts 5, we saw another wave of persecution from within, from without. And now in our passage today, there's this uh, grumbling and complaining. Uh, even that church had problems. Every church does because we got people and we got a spiritual enemy. The passage today, as we come to Acts 6, only 1 through 7, a briefer passage, is chock full of practical life lessons. So if you stand with me, I want to read through Acts 6. 1 through 7, which will conclude the first major section of the book of Acts, the focus being on Jerusalem. Here it is in Acts 6. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the Word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and, Procur and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Church, this is God's holy word. Please be seated. 
Okay, we see in verse 1, there are two groups of people in the early church. There are the Hellenists and the Hebrews. Keep in mind, both of these groups are Jewish, and both are now Jewish Christians, so Jews who become Christians, but one is more Hellenistic or Greek in orientation and culture, and one is more Hebraic in orientation and culture. Most likely the Hellenists, uh, they grew up outside the land of Israel because there was a dispersion for centuries of Jews all over the world, just like there is today. And there are millions and millions of people, uh, of Jews, who don't live in Israel. Many of them live here in the United States. But particularly before the Holocaust and World War II, they were just spread out everywhere. But uh, it was that way then. They were spread out, and many of them grew up outside of Israel, and so they learned not Greek as their first language. I mean, not Aramaic, which is kind of the Hebrew of the day, uh, but they learned Greek. Now, the ancient Roman world, Mediterranean world, uh, you ought to keep in mind that they had kind of a common language that uh, most of them spoke. Similarly, in the world today, there is a common language uh, for many, many people, and that's English. Um, but in that day, around the Roman Empire, uh, Greek was the, the basic language. And so if you grew up outside of Israel, you were more Greek in your orientation and language. But there were others who grew up in the land, the Palestine, and uh, in Israel, and they were Aramaic, uh, Hebraic in their orientation. So uh, there were lots of widows here. We don't, we're not talking about a church of 100 and, you know, seven widows. We are talking about a church of 15, 20,000 people and tons of widows, you know, hundreds maybe. And in that day and age, in that society, there was no government welfare system. There was no, you know, safety net. And widows would not uh, have a job. They would not work. You know, widows in our society, they can work and uh, there's some, some opportunities. But in that society, they were vulnerable. And so the church really needed to step up. And the church was doing that. But there was a perceived and probably an actual uh, disparity between the treatment of the Hebraics and the Hellenists uh, who came from outside. And, and there was complaining about that. Um, there was complaining, and that word complain was used in the Greek Old Testament for the grumbling in the, in the wilderness, the, the murmuring in the wilderness. And uh, so there, there was a serious issue here. There was division. There was grumbling. There was complaining. And the 12 apostles take action. And you see it in verse 2. Let me remind you what we just read. When there's this problem that arises, and the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. To their credit, they, they address the problem head on. You know, uh, many times we would rather just sort of ignore the problem, but that usually doesn't take care of the problem, does it? In fact, it doesn't get better with age generally. It gets worse with age. But they uh, address the problem head on. Notice what they do not do. Uh, they're the leaders of the church, but they do not jump in to take care of it themselves. They don't begin administrating uh, this uh, meal system so that it's equitable because that was not their calling. Their calling was to uh, pray for the body, you know, their primary intercessors, 
and for the ongoing ministries of the Word, teaching the Word of God, that was their calling. It was not that their calling of prayer and the Word of God was spiritual and the other one was not spiritual or that theirs was superior and the other one was inferior. It wasn't that. It was just they had a different calling, a different role in the body of Christ. Always keep in mind that every calling in the body of Christ is sacred if it's done for Christ. We're not that sweeping floors or uh, uh, being an elder in a church. If it's for Christ, it is sacred, just like everything we do is. So, there's a big need, but they don't do it. One of the basics about the Christian life we need to understand is every need is not a call. Because there's too many needs around. Every need around is not a calling. The, the question is, what's God called me to do? What's God called you to do? And one of the uh, big points, big parts of the spiritual life is to understand what God has called us to do, what God has called us to be, uh, particularly in this season. You know, seasons vary, but we need to be aware that uh, we too have a place in the kingdom, a place of ministry and serving, and, and we need to seek the Lord. Uh, what is my calling? What is my role? And so here's a basic biblical principle. Every need is not a call. What is God's calling for us? Now, the apostles, the 12 apostles, would be tantamount or equivalent to elders in our church, maybe the elders and the pastors. Uh, we're, we're crystal clear on, on their calling that uh, our calling is to really focus on prayer and intercession for this body and the teaching of the Scripture. We need to study and pray and, and teach. God's called other people, no doubt, to administrate this meal system. We should understand that part of the satanic attack on the church has always been, starts here, but it's right up to the present, is if, if Satan can take the ministry out of the hands of the people and put it in the hands of a few professionals then he can really sideline the church in so many ways. And that has always been the satanic strategy. If we can, if we just kind of have the mindset, okay, uh, those are the hired guns. Let's, let's get them to do the ministry. That, that is so contrary to the whole concept of the body of Christ. And, and really, for a thousand years, uh, during the Middle Ages, that's how the Catholic Church functioned. You know, the, the ministry was in the hands of, of the priests, and, and we were hoping that in the Reformation of the 1500s, uh, when we restored the Word of God to the people, that we would also have the work of God restored to the people. We talked about the priesthood of all that. We're all priests. Every Sunday morning when I read, uh, cite Revelation 1-5, we're a kingdom of priests. We're all called. But one of Satan's strategies, if he can get you to feel like you're a spectator, you're not going to grow. You're not going to feel you belong. You're not going to feel your part. And there's this gaping hole in the body of Christ where you are. And we need you. And you need you to be serving. Um, that's always been a satanic strategy. By the way, not just picking on the Catholic Church from 500 to 1500. Uh, that is true of all kinds of churches today. Um, is that uh, the mindset, man, that the, the professionals need to do this. And Satan will lie to you. You're not qualified. Oh, I can't do it now. I, I've got too many problems. Or, you know, I'm not gifted. Or they don't need me. Or this is a well-oiled machine around here. We're not a well-oiled machine around here. Uh, we need you. And you need to be finding your place, your calling. 
Um, by the way, uh, they focused on prayer and the Word, and you allow me to do that. You allow a handful of us, uh, certainly you allow me to do that. And Woodsays, let me thank you. Um, there's a lot of things I don't do, and, and I recognize that uh, you know, some of you, I'm the only face that you know as a pastor, and if there's a counseling need or if there's a problem in the children's ministry or some other ministry that you might think that I, I need to go to one, but, but, but there are a lot of things I do not do, cannot do, should not do. You don't want me to be your counselor. Uh, you want somebody who's got some gifts there. Uh, but this is what I do. I, I, I pray and intercede. I begin my day with a couple of hours of prayer and uh, just my own personal devotional life. And then I f- generally, next is, is working on the message. There's a few other things I do, like leading the staff. I have some ministry in Houston, do some writing, some few other things. But there's a lot of things I don't do. And thank you for giving me the privilege of that. But we all uh, got a place. And we got journey group leaders. And we got a pastoral staff, and we got elders, and we got each other. And so that's how the body of Christ is meant to work. Now, this is what they did. They said in verse 3, Brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, and will appoint you this duty. So again, don't be thinking, because it's more of a physical, it seems like a physical ministry, that there were not spiritual qualifications. There were, because all ministry is spiritual. If it's for Christ, it's spiritual. You know, they, look at down here at the front. There's these communion trays, and there's some around the sides in the middle. They don't just magically appear, by the way, on Sunday mornings. And I don't set them up. But we have a team that comes and sets them up. And just because it involves physical stuff does not mean it is not a spiritual ministry. Every ministry is spiritual if it's done for Christ. So it's interesting that there are spiritual qualifications for this ministry. Three of them, they had to have a good repute, good reputation with the outsiders or with people inside the church too. They had to be full of the Spirit. I mean, doesn't the book of Acts emphasize, has from the chapter 1, verse 1, that all of us must be full of the Spirit. Let's just pause on that. Let me remind you that this is the power source in the spiritual life. We need, we need to walk by the power of the Spirit, moment by moment. That's how we live the life. And you're not going to be full of the Spirit unless you're empty of self and empty of sin. doesn't mean you're perfect, but it doesn't mean you're surrendered. We empty ourselves. We surrender ourselves, and God fills us with His Spirit. So, just a reminder for all of us in all of life, we want to be full of the Spirit, and then They'd be full of wisdom because, I mean, we're talking about a church of 20,000 people and you've got tons of widows, maybe over a thousand of them, and there had to be a sensitive leadership here and and an equitable uh, plan. So they had to be full of wisdom. And that's what they do. They empower them. Now, one problem about this uh, uh, centuries-long issue of many of the people in the church don't get involved with ministry and they're spectators, is that many times the, it's the problem of the pastors aren't willing to let go of control and release ministry. And that's going to lead to many problems, such as that people aren't going to grow, church isn't going to grow because everything's under tight control. But God's plan is clear. For example, Ephesians 4, 11, 12 is the classic passage. It says this, and he, Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, or the word is the same as pastors, the pastors and teachers, that he gave them 
to equip the saints for the work of ministry. He did not give them the ministry, but the role of equipping God's people, that's the saints, for ministry and the body of Christ, for the building up of the body of Christ. And so this is God's plan for all of us to find our role or place in ministry. Satan's plan is for it to be in the hands of a few professionals. The Bible teaches us, every single one of us, as believers, we're a kingdom of priests. We're called to ministry. We're gifted for ministry. We're needed for ministry. Without our part, uh, the, the, the body suffers. There's a gap. There's a hole right there where we could be serving. There is no maturity in the kingdom without ministry. Okay, let's get that clearly. You can study the Bible all day. Take in, take in, take in, and you're not going to grow spiritually. That'd be kind of like, uh, okay, I'm going to grow physically and be fit by just taking in food, 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 and over exercise. It's what you give in, take in, and what you give out. No maturity without ministry. It's just God's way. Now, there's a lot of option. It can be formal or informal. It doesn't have to be recognized by me or the church. It can be inside Wood's Edge or inside your church or outside your church. But all of us ought to know what God has called us to do and be pressing into it. You know, I, I sometimes, um, if I'm not preaching and I'm here on a Sunday, which isn't a whole lot, I'll walk through the children's ministry, and I love seeing men back there. Got tons of women back there, too, but I love seeing men holding babies and doing other things. Uh, you know, sometimes when you think about children's church that, uh, or children's ministries that, uh, well, you know, I'm not really a teacher, I'm not really good, but we got all kind of places to serve there, including crowd control. Got lots of kids back there, about 800 or 900 on a Sunday, several hundred people who volunteer and work. You know, and hold a baby and a tired mom with two preschoolers can go worship uh, in the service. That's a great act of love and ministry. But children, students, uh, welcome ministries. I mean, just think, uh, you know, if we didn't have people in the parking lots uh, or people greeting and ushering, you know, it'd be just kind of messed to even get in here. We could not do worship without a lot of people helping in all kinds of ways. And so uh, it might be inside Woods Edge, but it may not be. I just met a couple uh, just brand new here at Woods Edge, and, and they, they, part, they came here partly because they know that Woods Edge has a, a reputation for foster kids. And, you know, they're involved with Love Fosters Hope, this marvelous uh, ministry with kids, and there's a lot of families that fostering. And, and that's not a formal ministry for them, but they just know there's a heart here, and they want to be part of it because they feel a burden for foster kids. Um, what is your place in the, in the body? Here's a danger. Here's one of the Satan's lies. Well, uh, when I get my act together, uh, then I'll do it. Yeah, good luck with that. Yeah, that's like uh, when I get my act together, I'll get married. Well, you don't get married in heaven, but there's no marriage in heaven, so that's the problem. Um, um, whatever you're going to do for Christ, do it now. Whatever you're going to do for Christ, do it now. There's never any just right time. Find a way that fits you, your life, your schedule. Seek the Lord. Let us help you. Um, let us help you find, find your place because you need it and we need it.
Uh, you, may, you might just take out a connect card and write big letters on there, I want to serve, and stick it in the offering basket, maybe with your name, but uh, uh, maybe your neighbor's name. Um, okay, what happened? I made that point. Verse 5, and what they said pleased the whole gathering. Why did it please them? I think because they addressed the problem, because they heard, listened to the people, and because they didn't feel like they had to do everything, and, and they empowered people. So what they did pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Procurus and the other guys. Now, by the way, he, he's subtly introducing Stephen, who will be a big place in the coming passages. In fact, I, I think in the New Testament, there's not a more godly man than Stephen. I, I put Paul as his equal, maybe John, but there's not a more godly man, but, but he's only in there a few chapters. We'll come to him in the coming weeks. He's just a remarkable man. Um, but isn't it interesting when he mentioned Stephen, he said, okay, you got to know, he's full of faith, and he is full of the Holy Spirit. That is so vital for God. God keeps reminding us that we have to be full of the Spirit. we got to be empowered by it. we got to live in the Spirit. As we're living our lives and everything we do, Lord God, I need your Spirit to guide me. Uh, you know, as it's famously said, take the Holy Spirit out of the modern church, 95% would just go on as normal. You take the Holy Spirit out of the early church, and 95% of things would change. We got to live in the power of the Spirit, just like we see in the book of Acts. All righty. Seven leaders were selected. Now they're commissioned in verse 6. We read, these they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And, you know, just lay their hands on them, pray. We, we commission people around here like that. And uh, what happened as a result of all of this, facing this problem head on, uh, delegating ministry, not controlling it, verse 7, uh, uh, really a, a, a great, exciting thing, and the Word of God continued to increase. That is the main theme of the book of Acts. The spread of the gospel throughout the Roman Empire in the power of the Spirit by a people devoted to prayer. And... We're now ending the first major section of the book of Acts. Remember, Acts 1-8 gives us the theme of the, of the chapter, a uh, theme of the book. Uh, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So right at the outset, theme verse. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Where? In Jerusalem, Acts 1-1 through 6-7. Judea and Samaria, now the next several chapters are going to focus on Judea and Samaria. Now, if we were Jerusalem right here, I would say Montgomery County would be Judea and Harris County would be Samaria. That'd be, that kind of size, actually, in Israel today. So the surrounding areas. And then, beginning somewhere around, is it Acts 9 or so, maybe Acts 12, to the ends of the earth. And we have the progressive spread of the gospel out there. But we're now ending the first major section, the spread of the gospel in Jerusalem. And at every time there's an ending of the next stage, there is a summary report of the spread of the gospel. This one is especially emphatic, verse 7. Three times it's emphasized the Word of God continued to increase. The number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. It's not just that they increased, they multiplied. It's not just that they multiplied, they multiplied greatly. I mean, people were coming to faith left and right. People were doing what they were called to do. They were loving people, and God was using them. They were filled with the Spirit. And if we want uh, Houston to become a great city of God, which we do, if we want to see revival in our time, in our day, in our city, 
Um, we too must depend upon the power of the Spirit and be a people devoted to prayer. And then finally, the number of the, uh, then finally, we read that even many priests came to faith. Now, this passage has emphasized the spread of the gospel. And there's been some emphasis on the power of the Holy Spirit. There's been a little emphasis on prayer. Remember, they were devoted to prayer and the Word. By the way, I went to seminary, and I thank God for my seminary. But if I'd have gone through seminary, I would have written Acts 6-4 like this, uh, that, that we devote ourselves to the Word of God and to the Word of God and to the Word of God. That's not what it says. They were devoted to prayer and the Word of God. Both are absolutely vital. But don't squeeze prayer out. This is their lifeblood. This is the power source. You are calling out to God for His power and provision and intimacy. Okay, next Sunday is March 1, six weeks before Easter Sunday. In the fall, beginning September 1 through October 10th, we had a 40 days of prayer. And if you were here then, you know God used it. In fact, if you entered in yourself, He used it in your life. I wish you would have heard all the stories that I've heard and am hearing yesterday at the men's advance. I was there in the morning. An ExxonMobil engineer told me about the 40 days and how God used it to bring big life change in his life. I've heard a number of those stories. Every time the people of God together, not just you and your own, in one accord, have a special time of prayer and fasting to seek the Lord, God shows up. It happens. I told you it happened in the fall. It did. And I'm telling you it's going to happen in the spring. Don't miss out on it. So let's do this. That's going to begin next Sunday. It'll run through uh, Good Friday. Same time as Lent. And uh, those of you with a liturgical background, this will be, uh, you know, familiar with you. Um, Pull out your purple card, please, the 40 days of prayer card. Find one around you. Uh, maybe you're sitting on it. Maybe you threw it uh, underneath your seat. But find one. Turn it over to the second side, the bottom half of the second side, underneath the white line. Let me just uh, explain these things. This is what it's going to be like because we're beginning next Sunday. Fast. Ask, what do I need to surrender in order to draw near to you, God? Is it food? Is it dessert? Is it social media? Is it TV? Guys, this is an important starting place. Lord, uh, wh what do I need to give up to seek you? Secondly, time with God. During this 40 days, especially meet with the Lord. Dave, can I use you as an example? Okay, that was a yes. I mean, what is he going to say here? No. <laughs> Dave, a businessman who travels widely, he, he started really pressing into meeting God during that 40 days, and, and you said to me, it changed my life. And he still is pressing in. And if you're not doing that, this is your time. This is your time. Thirdly, corporate prayer. If you're in town, attend the Wednesday night prayer service. It's going to be powerful. There's something about praying together, one accord that God uses. Four, for those yet to be saved. Now, especially pray for your top five. Uh, by the way, let me just uh, encourage you. This uh, thing that if you've got good eyes, it says top five, or maybe I'm holding up to the screen. And... Um, this doesn't mean top five prayer requests. If you've got prayer requests, sometimes they're placed in here, they could get lost. Please put your prayer request in all the offering boxes, and the, get, we get them to the staff and the elders. They pray for them. This is your top five lost people in your life that God's put on your heart. 
So uh, part of this 40 days, especially enter in and, and ask God, uh, Lord, are these the top five I'm supposed to have? I need to do any tweaking here. Is there a next step for these top five during this 40 days, especially praying in? Fifth, reflect daily on the glory of the cross because we are moving towards Easter. I mean, Paul said, you know, I glory in nothing but the cross. I'm determined to know nothing about the cross. But we're moving to Easter, the cross and the resurrection. So particularly during this season, we're going to be pressing in to what God did on the cross in Jesus Christ. And then finally, engage. That is, pray now. But if somebody shares a prayer request, uh, pray for them right then. Uh, prayer walk your neighborhood. Just, just press into prayer during this time. Guys, um, let's just see what God's going to do. Let's see what God says. We, we, by the way, we, in the last one, the fall, we, I asked you to have three God-sized prayer requests that unless God intervenes miraculously, nothing will happen. And we had these notebooks. Now they're organized. You can, they're alphabetized. You can go to your name. Maybe you're still praying for those three. I'm still praying for my three. Um, and and let, let's just kind of revive that, uh, that, that, that three if you've flagged in some of your attention there. Let's just pray for some God-sized miracles all over the place. Many, many of you saw some real breakthroughs. Um, I remember uh, a, a woman at our church, Jennifer, just coming to me the, almost the first Wednesday and said, I already had my first one. And many did. Some didn't, like me, but we're going to press in and we're going to pray. Okay, 40 days of prayer next Sunday. Let's be praying this week that God would prepare us. Okay, Acts 6-7 begin, ends that first major section in Jerusalem. What's the big takeaway from the passage this morning? I would say clearly that it is that God's way to do church is not for a handful of people to do all the work, for a handful of people to have all the control, a handful of people to do all the ministry. That is Satan's way to do the church. God's way is for all of us to do the ministry because ultimately we, as the church of Jesus Christ, we are not a cruise ship. We're a battleship. We're not a bunch of invalids, you know, to let other people serve me because, you know, I'm just kind of helpless, but we are warriors, wounded warriors, but wounded warriors for Christ and his army. And all of us need to find our place in the kingdom. Stand with me, please. So, Lord, help us. Help us find our place, Lord God. Help us to know, Lord God, that uh, there's great joy in knowing that we are needed and that we are gifted and that we belong. So, Lord, help us all do that so that we would be a church pleasing to you strong in you. Lord, I pray that we would not listen to the lies of the enemy that might be welling up even now. We say no to those and we say yes to what you've said in your word. Friend, if you're in the room, you've never taken the first step with Christ. That is trusting him to save you from your sin. Right now, just simply breathe a prayer and say, Jesus, save me. And he will. That's what the cross is all about, the cross and resurrection. Save me.